1: Maybe it's just that you
2: don't know how to use social courtesy.
1: Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how busy Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette.
2: Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
1: On today's show, we take your questions on attending funerals when you've grown apart, people who finish your sentences, and neighborly favors.
2: For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about younger children that outgrow their older siblings.
1: Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on gifts you don't wrap.
2: All that's coming up.
1: Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post Senning.
2: And I'm Lizzie Post. Dan, it's been a pretty exciting week around here in the last seven days.
1: But of course, by the time this lands in everybody's ears, the holiday will be over. And Lizzie Post, we have lots of exciting news to catch up on. But first, can I ask you how your holiday went?
2: You can, because we are recording this before the holiday and it will air after the holiday. I'm predicting good things. I feel like I want to tease you because you had on this show said, you can come to my house, and then now you're not going to be at your house anymore. So I'm going to my aunt's house for Thanksgiving, and I'm really excited about it. Different aunt, not not Dan's mom, but really looking forward to it. It'll, It'll be different. That's a little hard for me to swallow, but I think it's going to be really great because I really love my aunt Maureen and my Uncle Bill and their family, so it should be really good. What about you? Where are you guys headed? And where will you be returning from when this airs?
1: We are off to the Albany area to spend Thanksgiving with Pooja's very extended family. Our local Vermont Thanksgiving got a little bit exploded, shattered when <laughs> <laughs> we got the very exciting news that there was a new baby in the family. But it means we can't have quite as big a gathering here locally yeah. as we might otherwise have been planning. So, yeah, no, we're off to... To join the cousins and the aunts and the uncles, and it's going to be so much fun. That is Anisha's favorite thing to do. Some of her best friends are some of her cousins on that side of the family. So we will be driving Thanksgiving Day, but we'll get to spend a couple days there relaxing afterwards. And yeah, by the time this airs, you and I should be sitting down thinking about the month of December and everything that we've got coming before the next big holiday.
2: Well, there's definitely a lot coming. We I feel like this past week in general, there's been just a lot going on. As we had told you in a previous episode, we were really excited that our publisher has ordered a second printing. So we are selling out of our 11,000 book first printing, and they've ordered a 5,000 book second printing that should be hitting stores in early December, hits the warehouse, December 5th. So it'll take a couple days to disperse out after that. But really excited that books will be available in time for December holidays. And then we got the extra exciting news that Drumble, a third printing.
1: Has
2: we just found out last Thursday that we are getting a third printing of the book and that'll be 6,000 copies landing in January. So we are really really excited. This is great news. um um, still still a lot of work to go to hit our, our sales goals, but this is definitely going to get us there. And so we're really excited about that. But we also had a whole other announcement happen for you guys. It'll, it'll be last week. <laughs> Dan, do you want to tell our listeners about our new newsletter?
1: Our Substack newsletter has launched. We were able to get the Very first posting, sending email out on Thanksgiving week, and we're hoping that some of you are already signed up for the Emily Post newsletter, which we're transitioning into something that is going to function more and more like an etiquette community. We really want to draw a lot of the different audiences that we get to talk with at Emily Post, our podcast audience, our website audience, our newsletter audience, our social media audience into... A community where that discussion that we have oftentimes in one direction with various groups of people can start to be more of a community where we can start to facilitate a conversation and a sharing of everything that we do at Emily Post with all of the people that love Emily Post.
2: Rather than getting a mile long newsletter uh, every other month from us, we've decided to start doing more bite sized chunks, but still, still good chunks of content that are going to be delivered three times a week. On Mondays, it will be all things podcast and Emily Post News. So that'll be the day that you'll get any updates from us along with your fresh podcast episode. And for those of you who are sustaining members of the podcast, we actually are going to be able to transition the sustaining memberships over to the Substack. And so we're going to keep an eye out on your Patreon. We're going to be making some announcements about that. And on Thursdays, we will be delivering a deep dive into etiquette. Think about this as like a postscript segment that you can read. And so, yeah, right. Like it'll be a deep dive, right? (laughs) So you'll be receiving a really good, typically modern etiquette article on Thursdays. And then on Saturday, we've created a nice light delivery of what we call the Saturday sip, which has an etiquette tip, a recipe from the 1950s Emily Post cookbook. And a quote from Emily Post. And our hope is that this will be something nice to add to your Saturday morning routine and inspire you throughout the weekend. So we are really excited about our Substack For the launch, everything, all the content, the ads free version of the podcast, the bonus questions, everything is going to be free, 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 free. And once we're through our launch, uh, there will be an option to do a paid membership. And the paid membership will have some extra juicy bonus content. Content that will be available to those who are in the spirit, in the mode, in the vein, wishing to support the podcast and the content that we deliver at Emily Post Etiquette.
1: So this is a great moment to make as generous and welcoming an invitation as we possibly can if there's anyone out there listening who hasn't signed up for the emily post newsletter there is a sign up on the very top of every page at emilypost.com and on the footer of every page at emilypost.com that is a great place to go to find a sign up form for the new emily post substack if you're already a substack user we are very findable on the substack platform as well
2: We're really excited about this move. It's already been easier for us to create content in this space and to schedule it to go out. So we're really thrilled. We hope that you'll be thrilled with the increase in quality content from Emily Post. So we hope that you'll join us and help us build our Emily Post community over on Substack.
1: And Lizzie Post, speaking of lots to do, we have Mm -hmm. some questions to get to.
2: We absolutely do. Let's get to them.
1: Let's do it.
2: Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute, and on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember to use the hashtag #AwesomeEtiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from Storyworth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing
1: Our first question this week is about a death dilemma. Hello, my friend's father died and his funeral is next Saturday. She has been the kind of loyal friend that I can count on to be there when things get tough. However, we've grown a bit apart over the years and had sporadic contact during the pandemic. We've started to pick up where we left off before the pandemic just recently. She informed me via text of her father's death just hours after he passed and has let me know the date of the funeral. I've met her father and shared some special meals around the holidays with them while he visited her home a few times more than 12 years ago. The funeral is three and a half hours away, and I'm not sure if I should go to the funeral, send flowers, or both. I want to be there for her, and let her know that I care, but I am uncertain. I hesitate to ask for the details because I'm not sure if my attendance would be intrusive and odd, since I don't know her father well. At all. If I go, should I only attend the service? Additionally, if I go, should I attend alone or go with my husband and 11-year-old daughter? I'm not familiar with funeral etiquette since I've only been to a few, and they were many years ago when I was much younger. Please share some thoughts on the question of to go or not to go. With respect, Katie.
2: Katie, thank you so much for this question, and you are not alone in being unsure of whether to attend a funeral. And generally, Dan and I and and the Emily Post team come down on the side of as long as it's a a public funeral and, and not a private one, go, because support is always so wonderful during these times. It can feel like you aren't close enough, like those 12 years that that separated the last great dinner you had with this gentleman really are long, and that dinner is so far in the past that it might feel uncomfortable. But given the fact that you've rekindled this friendship, that your friend told you right away when her father passed, and that there was going to be a funeral, to me, these are good indicators that even if maybe she was just sharing things and, and not really even thinking about it as an invitation, that you would still be welcomed, that you were someone she reached out to during the the very first moments of this grief. And that that doesn't have to place a burden on you to go if you really can't go, but that it would be a really good sign that you would be welcome. And I think it's really common for us to feel like we aren't close enough to show support and one of the things we tried really hard to do in the centennial edition of Emily Post's etiquette in the hard times chapter was to encourage people to show their support during hard times that it's often better to reach out than not to again this doesn't mean you have to go to the funeral but I think that that when Dan and I read this there are a lot of signs pointing to the idea that you would be welcome if you showed up here and that it would be appreciated not mandatory, not a, a must-do, but appreciated. Dan, what are you what are you seeing? And there are some other points we can talk about too, but to go or not to go, what do you think?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And I really like what you have in your show notes about this one, to go or not to go, follow your heart or listen to your heart. That if it's something that you want to do, all of the, the indications here, I agree with you, seem to indicate that this is a, a public funeral. We don't know that it's been announced or been – um, listed in a, a paper or online or on a funeral home's um, website, but oftentimes funerals are set up that way. And I also really like the way you're reminding me as well as our listeners that sometimes it's not even about necessarily how close you are to the person who's passed, but sometimes it's about supporting the family. Sometimes just having a connection to the people who are impacted by it is uh, a, a good and important reason to to participate and to think of yourself as part of that support that people might be looking for at this time
2: Dan I remember at mud our grandmother's funeral that the Drecki family showed up and I don't think they had ever met my my grandmother or our grandmother excuse me <laughs> I didn't mean to exclude you from that I don't think they'd ever met our grandmother And yet they were showing up for my mom and my dad who were their best friends who had just lost a a mother and a mother-in-law that they were really close to. And, I remember to this day, because I'm sharing it right now, how impactful it was to see them there and to have them there for our family, even though they didn't necessarily know the deceased very well, if at all. So I think you're right. You're also reminding me of what Michelle Achevari, who we interviewed for the Hard Times chapter of the new book, said, and that's that funerals are really for the living. They are for the people who are grieving Um, And while we often think of them as honoring the deceased, so much of it is a chance for the community to collectively process together. And our communities are spread pretty far and wide these days. So Mm -hmm. um, just because you're three and a half hours away, it might still be really appropriate to go and support as you've been rebuilding this friendship but then we go back to the the how do you feel in your heart about it? Um, and I still think that leading with that is, is a great way to go, even with all the encouragement that we're offering Katie today.
1: And just to continue and to cover some of yeah. the details that Katie asked about, I, I think you look at your own motivations. And as long as you're not attending funerals out of curiosity or just Good point. Th- for something to do, if what your intent is, is to go and be supportive and to honor someone, then – there isn't a a number limit on it it's not your your husband would be welcome to go with you your daughter would be welcome to go with you most likely the the tradition around funerals as Lizzie said is that they're in many ways they function as community events and they're not ticketed <laughs> there aren't um assigned seats I'll be reserved seating for friends and family who are very close but they tend to be events where people are planning to accommodate a certain amount of of public traffic and are even aware that that might happen, that people might show up that they're not aware of. The other thing that you asked was about sending flowers. And Mm -hmm. it's certainly uh, one of those instances where I find myself thinking the answer to every either or question is often – both or more, that that Mm -hmm. (laughs) you would be welcome to do either or both, really, that one doesn't preclude you from doing the other. But there is one other really essential etiquette that often happens around someone's death. And I'm guessing that Lizzie Post wants to talk a little bit about condolence or sympathy notes as well.
2: (laughs) You could certainly talk about them. I'm okay with that. (laughs) I really love condolence notes, not because they're a fun thing to write at all, but because they can really be such a healing or important part of the grieving process. And that I remember my cousin Scott, when his mother passed, he said he was blown away that for being as depleted as he was in the moment, and, and the moment in this case was the week around his mother's funeral, that A, reading notes from people, really meant a lot. Sometimes he got a story or a glimpse into a part of his mother's life that he wouldn't have otherwise known about. In other cases, it was reaffirming all the beautiful things that he loved about Her And could really share that with someone upon reading that note. And then the other thing was that in the receiving line, as they were greeting guests who had attended the funeral at a reception, he said, you know, I really thought this was going to be draining. But every time someone says, I'm so sorry for your loss, or I loved your mother so much, or she was so wonderful in my life. It just makes me feel so secure and so grateful that my mom had this impact and that other people could see how wonderful she was. I'm totally tearing up here because – but it is – it was really beautiful and it was – Such a a direct way to see my own cousin really absorbing the community collective grief in a way that, that was helpful for him when he hadn't been expecting it. So for a condolence note, sitting down, maybe writing to her about some of those dinners that you remember that were special dinners, that might be incredibly impactful during this hard time.
1: And I will second and affirm that as well. It was one of the things that I learned early on at Emily Post that kind of surprised me was how many people come to the Emily Post Institute for advice about funerals and about the etiquette around death and dying. And we have heard again and again, and it was something I learned early on, how impactful that process can be of receiving those condolence notes, of writing those condolence notes, and even of Writing the responses to those condolence notes that is often another step in the etiquette around, around the process of, of a community processing someone's death. The one other thing that I wanted to mention that came to my mind as I read this question was something that comes up sometimes when we talk about writing thank you notes, which is that people oftentimes fail to accurately predict what a good impact a thank you note's going to have because they feel awkward writing it. It's something that they're not familiar with. It's something that they haven't done in a long time. And that feeling of unfamiliarity with doing it is easy to project on the recipient. It's easy to imagine that they will feel the same awkwardness or lack of familiarity on receiving it that you feel writing it. And Mm -hmm. exactly the opposite is true. And I see a little bit of that psychology present in this kind of a choice where, Katie is thinking about funerals and even the thought is is one that maybe feels a little awkward because it's not something she's familiar with. She references that in the question. And I want to offer the same encouragement that I would offer someone around a thank you note around engaging when someone passes that it might feel awkward. But the effort, I think, could potentially pay real rewards and the support that other people will feel from you is not likely to feel as awkward as you feel thinking about offering it. And maybe, maybe that thought can, can help get across some of those hurdles when it comes time to sit down and write that condolence note or make a decision about sending flowers or driving to that funeral or picking up your friend and giving her a call in a couple weeks when things have started to settle down. And maybe she's not receiving quite as many calls as she did in, in those early days and weeks right after her father passed. Katie, we're sorry to hear about your friend's sad news, but we are also really glad that you were there for her. And thank you for sharing your questions with us and the Awesome Etiquette audience. Clearly, there's a lot to say about this. Lizzie Post, I'm even thinking that there might be a postscript in our future about condolence notes.
2: Absolutely.
1: Katie, thank you so much for the question.
2: Our next question is titled, Sentence Snags, and I bet a lot of us can relate. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Please help. One of the women that I supervise has a habit that is very distracting to me. She's a lovely person, and I really like her. However, she often tries to finish, finish my sentences. Sen- <laughs> sentences. <laughs> For example, if I say, I'll meet you in your office at 4 o'clock, she'll jump in and say the word, O'clock. o'clock. With me. (laughs) Or if I say, please call Mrs. Smith back and let her know that the information she wants is on the homepage of our website. She'll jump in and say the words, our website with me. It's so
1: distracting.
2: Just so you know, we are so here for this question. I understand that it comes from a place of being excited about a topic and wanting to do well, but I struggle to focus on what I need to tell her when she does this. Besides using this as an opportunity to reflect on and improve my own listening skills, ding, 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 bonus points for that. Is there anything I can do to help improve the situation? Do you have any sample scripts? Thank you, Anonymous. Hmm, Dan. Have you ever been through this before? <laughs> no,
1: never. This has never happened to me. I've never done this to anybody, and definitely this didn't happen to me yesterday repeatedly while we were trying to get a lot of work done very quickly, and my coworkers were losing patience with me. No, this did not no, happen tell, ever. tell
2: me, just so you know, Dan's being generous. I, I hit a point yesterday where I hadn't eaten all day. We were trying very hard to get the launch announcement out for that substack, which ended up being a more complicated thing than we thought. Then I wouldn't say than we thought, but just it just had a lot of moving parts and a lot of. T's to cross, I's to dot, and I was starting to hit, like, panic anxiety mode, and when I do that, I have a tendency to either A, change subject mid-sentence, or B, try to guess everything Dan's going to say before he says it, because it's like, my brain is trying to connect with another brain, (laughs) and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop finishing your sentences, I am not a psychic, I can't predict what you're going to say. But essentially, that is what happens here, Dan, isn't it? It's that... When we do this, it's like there's a sense of wanting to connect, wanting to move things along faster. And truthfully, what we all need to do is slow down because even if the behavior is totally unintentional, it is really annoying and it can be really distracting. And I love the fact that Anonymous is using this uh, annoyance as a way to also be self-reflective. That's what those ding, ding, ding points were for. Um, It's really, really important when you catch yourself doing this to acknowledge it and say oh my gosh i'm sorry i'm going to stop finishing your sentences for you and just listen and that that'll help you it it just often comes from a place of as as anonymous noted either excitement or stress or A little maybe anxiety about trying to be on the same page as the other person? I don't Hmm. know. What do you think, Dan? You've been so quiet and patient waiting for me to finish my ramble.
1: (laughs) I I appreciated your very personal reflections on this, but I also wanted to share with our audience that you did all those things in the moment. You, I, I, I listened to you. It was the third time it happened, and you, you the sample script you just offered, was what I heard from you yesterday <laughs> right off the bat. You said, "Okay, hold on a second. I need to stop interrupting you. I'm going to slow down and listen and let you finish your sentences." And I, I, I just, we, we, we took some good humor about this being something that you and I did yesterday, and I want to complete the picture that you were. Really quite self aware, and it was um it, it was not a, a difficult thing for us to move <laughs> through. Um,
2: I I also managed to eat some avocado toast and, and get some calories to my brain, which really helped for the rest of the day too. Food is important, people. Food is important.
1: <laughs> and side story: I came home just as hungry as you and was barking at everyone, and Pooch just said, "Mission <laughs> abort. Go eat some food." <laughs>
2: apparently posts need food regularly to function <laughs> but
1: i, I want to give anonymous some advice about how to respond and yeah, please. I, I, because we've been talking about the personal situation i thought i'd share just what i witnessed in myself responding yesterday also and i think the the first tactic that i found myself using when i looked back on it was that i would just wait and then mm-hmm. i would pick up where i had left off or yes. where the interruption occurred and whether you had accurately guessed the next thing that was going to be said or inaccurately guessed the next thing that was going to be said, it was a good way to just, um, maintain the integrity of that thought and that, that line of the conversation in a way mm-hmm. that isn't calling out the other person in a way. It's not saying, don't interrupt me or, or could you just stop or could you just let me finish? You know, you're avoiding some of those uh, immediate responses, but, but also in some ways holding firm to the idea that, that that sentence was incomplete, that you were interrupted and that you're going to conclude it. And I think that's a done well without any attitude. I think that can be a gentle way to not respond and just sort of accept the interruption, but not mm-hmm. actually call it out. That for me, I noticed that being the first step and mm-hmm. you and I never got to the second step where.
2: You had to say something to me cuz I was out of control.
1: Yes. And, oh wait,
2: I just did it. <laughs>
1: and this is what that I wanted to run a little trial balloon on you for, which is yeah. what do you think about interrupting the interruption? So that it's not about okay, I'm saying something, I get interrupted, someone completes and then I I address that issue as something separate. But Mm -hmm. maybe I just say something like, hold on for just a second. Let me finish that thought. Maybe it's not going to go where you think. Or or, or, or maybe you don't need that extra little bit on the sample script. Maybe it's just, oh, could you hold on just a sec? Let me finish what I was going to say. Or... Something to that effect—an interruption of the interruption.
2: Okay, (laughs) I—I'm just kidding. It's just so you know, audience. Dan and I are having a lot of fun with this because it is one that personally, like we both notice in ourselves, we notice in each other that it's a, and it's way more me doing it to him. But But I think I used to do
1: it more to you years ago.
2: (laughs) Um, But in terms of the interrupting the interruption when Dan does this really successfully with me, it's usually a point he really wants to make. He doesn't want to lose his thought, his train of thought. And that's what gets expressed in the moment. And it's such a great self-check on me in the moment. I, I often feel like when you do that, what I really gain from it is he really doesn't want to lose this thought and he really does need to communicate it to me. And I need to, to like – tone down the excitement that I'm feeling that's driving my interruptions. And so I feel like it is really effective, but it's so hard to do it with grace. And I feel Mm. like you've cultivated a way of doing that, especially when it's really important. You know, I appreciate it when you do it with that tone. That's not you're being an annoying little sister or in our case cousin, and instead is in the tone of, the thing i have to say is really important and i don't want to lose it that that snaps me into place so much faster than a critique on my own behavior and i know that probably sounds pretty arrogant but it um but it is really interesting how when you put me in the position of thinking about you as opposed to thinking about the the bad thing i'm doing it's like more effective is what I'm trying to say, that I find it it snaps me into place a lot faster because it immediately puts the focus where it needs to be, which is on my listening to you and your ability to get that sentence out. I feel like the interrupting the interruption can be done really well. And I think you want to keep it positive, keep it from the perspective of, Hang on. I really want to get this out or I, I really want to finish this thought before I lose it and then get the thought out. And it that that I find really, really effective. But if the interruption is gosh, you do this all the time. You're so annoying. I feel like that creates a different, a different moment and we might lose all the thoughts yes. altogether. <laughs>
1: well, and, and, and as you talk about it, it's got me thinking about the various things that we often say to each other, you and I. And yeah. <laughs> I think keeping it positive is one way to avoid that tone. And what I'm remembering, or, and I can't think of specific examples, but one person saying one thing, the other person interrupts, completes the sentence or thought, and it's not what the first person was going to say. <laughs> saying something positive about that other thing and then putting it aside and coming back to the, the thing. So it's, it's, it's not even a rejection. You could even accept the interruption. <laughs> and then, sort of delete it or erase it and, and 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 bring bring back to the the point where the departure happened and I hear you and I doing versions of that. That's a great idea. It's not what I was going to say. I was thinking this, but x, y or z and then and then you proceed with the thing that you were going to say.
2: I personally like our shortened version of that. Where you say no, and then I go oh, and then you say the thing that you were gonna say, and it, that one cracks me up every time it happens. And in some ways, it's the lightest touch. It ends up being the funniest touch, and it because we've we've dealt with this issue back and forth both directions for so many years, yeah. we end up like it's like our shorthand for like sit back down, listen for a minute. So true. <laughs> without it. Being that way, so I know that we've gone on really long with this particular answer, but it is it was just so delightfully juicy and so delightfully personal to us that we had to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit on how we navigate this particular type of of dynamic at work. I think that as Anonymous is is trying to talk with someone and Anonymous did did let us know separately that they've had constructive criticism conversations before that have gone really well. So she's confident she could address this. And so I was thinking maybe try something like, Jenny, I've noticed that I have a hard time concentrating when you finish my sentences. Would you be willing to try waiting until I'm finished before saying what you'd like to say? You know, you might add something about oftentimes I realize it's it's just you connecting and getting on board with what I'm saying. But it's easier for me if I can just get out everything I need to say. Um, and I think that that done between script. two two people who have a, a, you know, rapport with each other, you know, it, make it your own, make it sound confident coming from you. But I think that kind of a sample script would work here.
1: And my absolute last, last thought for anonymous, Lizzie appreciated in the reading of this question, your reflection on your own listening skills. I would make a little addition to that reflection. I think that for me, these are often opportunities to think about my own communication skills. Can I get to the point a little more quickly? Am I asking a lot of my listeners if people are successfully completing my sentences all the time and it's not just one person, but multiple people? Am I predictable? Am I talking to hear myself talk? as lizzie said this answer is getting longer and longer i think i'm outing myself as i continue anonymous thank you so much for the question we clearly have a lot to say about this we will do our best not to
2: interrupt each other yes no
1: (laughs) anonymous thank you for the question can't you children help him get along
0: we tried but it didn't work
1: why what happened Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Our next question came in in the form of a voice memo, and it's titled Neighborly Favor.
0: Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I hope you are both doing well this holiday season. I have a quick question regarding neighbor favors. Our neighbor has asked if we could let her visiting daughter's dog out several times on Christmas and the day after, as they plan to all go out of town. I'm of the mindset that this is too much to ask, especially on a holiday, and my husband feels that it's rude of us to decline because it's something we could do as we are not traveling. I'd love to protect this holiday and not have to think about the dog who would be alone all day when we weren't checking in on him. We have young children, and both of us would love to stay in our pajamas all day long. When we're out of town, we always board our dogs, so it wouldn't cross our mind to ask a neighbor, unless there was an emergency situation, like someone was in the hospital. Can you help us? Is it rude to decline a favor politely, simply because you don't want to? Help!
2: Oh, Dan, this question is so delicious. A, because I do a lot of dog watching between my neighbors and I. (laughs)
1: All, All sides of this one.
2: And also because of you and I's perspective on favors in general. And I just want to start by saying any favor you can turn down. You can say no. You can say, no, I'm sorry, we won't be able to do that. Personally, though, when I'm hearing here is a two two separate things in this that that made my ears prick up. one is that hubby is thinking not a big deal, m b d we can do this, you know, like we did, I'd want someone to probably do it for me, so yeah, and in that case, if there's one family member that's willing to go deal with this favor, I say, let him do it, help out the neighbor, go for it, lean into hubby thinking this is an easy task, let him be the one to go do it. But later on in the question, our question asker says, you know, we'd like to stay in our pajamas. I might say, go walk the dog in your pajamas then. But I, you know, I don't want to ignore the fact that that was a we at the end. I don't know if it was a coupled royal we, where it's really one person's perspective, but you're you're putting it on both of you. Or whether that's a, that's a genuine we, we really don't actually want to go do this, but my husband doesn't think we should turn it down. You know what I mean? Like, there's... There's kind of a slight difference between those two.
1: There really is. It's so curious to me how directly impacted our impression of a situation is based on directionality. Mm -hmm. You know, is Mm -hmm. it it, how is the ask made? How is it received and responded to? And I found myself thinking, well, the ask could be a polite ask. It could be a rude ask. I don't think it's the nature of the favor that's being asked that makes it rude or polite, but how it's done. A neighbor telling another neighbor, I'm going to be gone for a couple days. It'd be great if you could stop by and put kibble in the dish and walk them twice a day with the assumption that that was going to be accepted and that there wasn't any room for the the person who the favor was being asked of to decline or just not be interested or available or want to do it even.
2: (laughs) I'm only giggling because even your rude version sounded very polite to me. Like, I feel like I would actually have a good, an easy time turning that, oh, I wish I could, but, you know, the way our day is, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm so sorry. I can't help, you know? But I, I also know that there's a ruder version of that that's very expectant where it's like, I'm going to leave food out. I need you to stop by. Like, that, that to me, like, sound, like, harsher and... And still something you could easily turn around and say like, oh, I, I appreciate that you need that. Unfortunately, we aren't going to be able to meet that need. You know, uh, I don't know. I'm having fun with this.
1: <laughs> well, and that's where that directionality comes in. You can look at the, the, the good ask or the bad ask. And then you can look right. at a good ask or a bad – or a good reply or a bad reply. Yeah. And again, I don't think good or bad has to do with whether you say yes to the favor or no to the favor, but how you reply. You could – Say, oh, I'd be happy to do that for you and then fail to listen to exactly what needs to be done. You're not taking care of an animal the way it needs to be taken care of. You could also decline politely or you could decline very rudely. I can't believe you'd ask that of me. That's really ridiculous. We would never
2: ask that of you. Exactly.
1: And to me, that's where the etiquette rubber meets the road. That In some – relationships in some neighborhoods this sort of an ask is the kind of thing that keeps the neighborhood functioning and working in other neighborhoods it might be a bit more of a stretch it might just be a, a place where people live more independent and separate lives they aren't as connected aren't as likely to do these kind of things for each other or make those kind of asks of each other
2: let's also remember not all neighborhoods are little postage stamps properties right next to each other, right? Like out in Charlotte, you were neighbors if you lived within 5 miles of somebody, you know what I mean?
1: Yes. <laughs> it's
2: like and and that's another thing we don't know. How how easy truly is this? I'm still of the mind though that if, if hubby thinks it's not a big deal, lean into that and just, I like just your let him be solution. the one to run over there. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but, you know, I don't I don't want to negate the end of that question, but at the same time, I think if someone doesn't think it's a big deal, let them handle it you never know what kind of relationship building that could lead to certainly within the holiday spirit you know of of coming together and helping out but I'm, i'm with dan you know how how was it asked how how do you really feel about it is there anybody interested in helping i think we can parse out a few more things to find a solution that really works as dan said whether that answer is yes or no
1: and you very well might split the married couple in this one and say, yep. listen, my answer on this one's a no. But if you want to say yes and take the responsibility,
2: have, um, at, it. have at it, exactly, <laughs> with a smile
1: on your to face. predict I think,
2: what you were going to say.
1: <laughs> it could go very well. <laughs> Anonymous, thank you so much for the question. We hope that our answer helps and that you have a wonderful holiday. Mr. Black has something to tell Jimmy. You know, Jimmy He says, I don't think Tippy has been happy here. A dog needs someone to play with, and I don't have time to play with him. You'd give him the company he should have.
2: Our next question is about a living quarters complication, and it's a doozy. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I've been living with friends to save money to one day buy a house. They are great people to live with, and we've had very few problems. The other day, they informed me that two more people would be moving into the house. They weren't asking if it was okay. They were telling me. I'm fairly upset. Because not only will it be a lot of people in a tight space, but they have a small dog, and my cats hate dogs. I'm also going to be expected to pay the same amount of rent, even though more people will be living here. I don't think it was fair to not be consulted about this, and I'm especially upset about the rent. But they have also been very kind to me, so I'm not sure how to approach the situation. Am I wrong to be upset, and how can I bring up the issue of rent with more people living here? Thanks, Carrie. Ouch.
1: Carrie, thank you so much for your question. This sounds like a really tough situation. It can be hard when there's a question of friends and people that we live with we're quite close to, but then the business of making decisions about leases or property ownership or management or rentals starts to interfere with those relationships and I think oftentimes it can be really helpful, really useful to get clear about what the business is and then mm-hmm. what are the the other relationships that are happening around that business. And that clarity around the business side of things can really help focus the decision making and the management of the emotions and the, the interactions between people.
2: Absolutely, Dan. I think one of the big first one that screams out to me is, is this – A house that someone owns or holds a lease on that you've been invited to to be sort of a subletter or roommate of? Or is it something where you both went in, or maybe all three in this case, since you live with a couple, went in on a particular property together? If it's the latter, you know, where where you're both equal signees on the lease, then I think you have a, a lot more standing to say, hey, hey, whoa, wait a minute here. We really need to talk about when people are going to be moving in, if we can handle people moving in, how the pet situation would go before just deciding to do it. That's one where I actually think you would have a lot of leverage to put the brakes on the current Mm quote-unquote plan that the other couple has instituted. Whereas if it's their house – And if it's a lease that you are not on, I think you're in much less of a position to pump those brakes, but you're still in a position of being considered. And the agency that you have is whether you stay or go. Now, I don't know how hard the housing market is in your area. I know in Burlington, it's really hard to find a place. And so... Leaving might not feel like an option or at least not an immediate option that could relieve the pressure of like the cats and the dog situation and the tiny space. But I do think it's worth just reminding yourself, you know, as long as I'm not signed into this for a certain amount of time or something, if this was just a verbal agreement, technically I can leave if this is not working for me. I think, Dan, what has to happen here is the three Cs that we talk about in our book, which are communication, compromise, and commitment. And at the very least, getting that first C dealt with and communicating with your your roommates that you feel concern about this announcement and how it's come about, I think – Stating if they are the leaseholders or the homeowners that you understand they are the leaseholders and the homeowners (laughs) and letting them know that. But as a roommate, as someone who is living here, it was really hard to hear that two more bodies plus a dog are going to move in when my cats are not good with dogs. And, you know, it wasn't something I was even considered makes me not feel like my place in this house matters, even though up until this moment, you guys have really treated me like it has. I think, you know, doing that effort to both recognize what's been so good and how this feels like a bit of a record scratch in comparison can help share the perspective of things were going great, but this happened and now I'm a little concerned and I'm hoping we could talk about that concern.
1: I'm loving your idea that this all begins with communication. My first piece of etiquette tip advice was it sounds to me like it's time to ask for a house meeting that there is enough that's going on that's unsaid around what's being said that the more of that that can be aired and acknowledged and dealt with in a positive way the better and like you I think that there might be some room to talk about what the experience or what the feeling was of hearing about this having this news delivered as something that was already decided Mm-hmm. And it, it might help the couple, the people who made that decision to think about how they communicate, even if it's their choice to make, even mm-hmm. if and, – and their reasons for making the choice are valid and make a lot of sense and, and are something that they might even be willing to share with you, that a willingness to engage you or, or even to explain some of those reasons or talk about what those reasons are when they tell you about the change that's coming – could help to acknowledge your position in the the house, the role that you play there and to show you that you're being considered. I think that makes a lot of sense. I was thinking more about that house meeting also being about an opportunity to think forward Mm -hmm. and to raise some concerns that I think are really valid concerns. The question of pets that might not get along, I think really needs to be raised as soon as possible Yeah, because that's a, a, a situation that if, things proceed and it doesn't work well is going to impact everyone. And I think that being a voice, being one of the pet owners in that situation, talking about it and, and, and expressing your concerns and getting everyone involved is important. And the sooner you do it, the better. And I would approach the question of rent the same way I would ask if it's possible to, or if the, if the, the couple that are renting to you would be willing to talk about, The ways they assess rent, the shared space in the house, there are all sorts of calculations that people do based on square footage that's being used or division of utilities that might come into play here. And it it might be that those are worthwhile things to think about that they apply. It might be that they don't, but it's reasonable when there's a change for you to ask to talk about the change and to put your perspectives on the table i the price of admission for any of those conversations is a willingness to listen. Mm-hmm. and as Lizzie said, an understanding that your bottom line might be about deciding whether you stay or go that that ultimately might be the the leverage point that you have and that there isn't a lot of room for you to dictate or to assume that your input is going to be accepted or taken <laughs> that you can put it on the table, but you also have to understand the position that you're operating from in terms of that fundamental business relationship that we talked about right at the start
2: carrie there is no doubt that you've been put in a really difficult situation here our hope is that through some clean honest communication and an upbeat attitude towards moving forward that you and your current roommates are going to be able to find the right balance and hopefully it works out well for
1: all involved Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesome at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802 858 Kind. That's 802 858 5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
2: If you're really enjoying Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by joining the paid subscribers to our Substack. Go to emilypost.substack.com or you can sign up on any page of the emilypost.com website. Just click on the newsletter sign up and it'll get you there. You'll get an ads-free version of the show, access to bonus questions and content, as well as live calls. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep awesome etiquette on the air to those of you who are already sustaining members. Thank you so much for your support.
1: It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover today. We have feedback from Susie on gun safety at playdates. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have some feedback on one of your recent podcasts. I want to encourage your listener who wrote in with questions about how to initiate conversations about gun safety with her child's friends, parents, I am the parent of a now 17-year-old. When my child was little, I had many conversations, just like the ones your listener is describing. I would spend some time thinking about what I wanted to say and how I wanted to deliver it. Text, phone call, in person. And then I gave myself a pep talk before plunging in. I hope you don't mind, but when my child is playing at a friend's house for the first time, I always like to ask about guns. Do you keep guns in the house? And if so, can you tell me if you keep them locked up? I have to report that all the conversations went extremely well. Not being a gun owner, I didn't know what to expect. But I learned that almost all the people I talked to were gun owners, and they all took gun safety very seriously. None of them took offense, and I felt much better for it. You are initiating important conversations to keep your child safe. Good for you, and good luck. You can do it. Signed, Had That Conversation in Michigan. (laughs)
2: I love that signature thank you so much for the feedback and the encouragement for our question asker and thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates please do keep them coming you can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND that's 802-858-5463 It's time for our postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today, we're going to continue our kid holiday prep by talking about gift giving and receiving with little ones. And Dan, I love the section of our our first set of notes here. Me too. <laughs> it's about all the good-hearted stuff and talking about all the gifts you don't wrap during the holiday season and. What I love about this is that there's some encouragement we can give to the kids in our lives. And if you don't have kids, maybe you've got a niece or nephew, maybe there's a, a neighborhood kid that you have a good bond with. And, and encouraging them around these things is also just as wonderful as if they are your own children. But really spending a moment and talking with our kids during the hectic holiday season about things like kindness and consideration and helping out can make such a difference to keeping the focus of this season not solely on gifts or parties, but on spreading good cheer, being helpful when things are a bit more chaotic, and really helping to cultivate that we're all in this. And when we all do the good things, it makes our celebration so much better, whether that's just A simple Sunday night with the family around the table during a cold winter month or whether it's a big holiday bash with all the relatives and the whole neighborhood. These are things that we can talk about with our kids to encourage them for the spirit of the season. And Dan, I'm going to ramble on a little bit more here to just bring back one of my favorite holiday traditions that my family doesn't actually do anymore, but that I loved more than anything. And you've heard me talk about it before, but we had a big styrofoam star. And what my family chose to do is that we celebrate Christmas and we put that star on the top of the tree each year. And what my mom had us do throughout the holiday season from Thanksgiving to Christmas, anytime we did a good deed, made our bed, got our chores done, uh, ran down the half mile driveway to go get the mail and bring it back. Um, (laughs) Things like country living, the things like that, we would get to put a little stack of sequins and a pin and it was one of those sewing pins that has the little bob on the top so you'd you'd stack up some sequins and this is where we got to be creative and then you'd put your little pin through the center of all the sequins and stick the sequins on the star and by the end of the holiday season the goal was to have a star that was just so covered in sequins it was all our good deeds all our helpful
1: moments Mm -hmm. and
2: this to me is such a win it's such a great way to engage kids and the behaviors that we're about to talk about
1: <laughs> i mean that's such a visual reminder and yeah when you talk about holiday traditions i think about our grandfather reading us the the uh, how the grinch stole christmas
2: yes and
1: <laughs> the end of that book is just absolutely beautiful the grinch steals everything he takes the decorations he takes the food he takes the presents he takes all of the trappings of the holiday and mm-hmm it doesn't ruin the holiday he's yeah. surprised to find the next day that the the who's in whoville are singing and are joyous and are are celebrating each other and being together and it's it's a fundamental lesson about the holidays that all of those other things they are they can be fun they can be exciting they can fill us up with good cheer and good spirit and Ultimately there is something else that's going on. There's that 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 human connection that we're all looking to honor and celebrate and crave that is so important. And it's so cliched. I mean, whether you learned it through the how the grid stole Christmas or from a, a star that your mother did with you as a child. <laughs> but this is your opportunity to be the person that gives that message to a child as something new to help them discover that. And and it might sound cliche, it might sound trite even. Cheesy. But just <laughs> um, cheesy. But just imagine that person learning that from you, hearing from you that what really matters is people and how we care for each other and what we do for each other and the, the time that we take and the attention that we give. And it sounds cheesy now coming out of my own mouth just saying it, but I remind <laughs> myself that when it lands in the ears of a of, of a young person, it can be the beginning of, of a real understanding and real insight. And to not forget to share that at this time of year is so important.
2: Some of the other things that you can talk about with kids in your life to help prep them for the holiday season and and help kind of get their buy in to, to support and do the best they can are things like prepping for company we talked a couple episodes ago about reminding kids of good greetings and good goodbyes these are things that you can do in general at the start of the holiday season and then before each party that you either throw or go to before each gathering just a reminder hey don't forget when we go in we're going to give a really big hello we're going to say hi to everybody and you know i know they've got some cocoa there so you can enjoy some cocoa but really prepping your kids tell Telling them what the experiences are going to be like is a great way to help break through some of those shy barriers, but also help them feel confident and learn about what to expect and how to participate really well. So prepping kids for company, prepping kids for going out and being a good guest are are great things to be talking about. Dan, what are some of the other things in our list?
1: Dare we call it the gift of good manners? I'm thinking about other gifts that we can give kids to prep them for those holiday experiences. It might be that there's going to be a special meal, that there's something that's being served a little differently, presented a little differently, or where there's an expectation that you... Sit at a table by yourself, a kid's table, or navigate a meal with a grandparent present.
2: How about that you eat at like 2.30 in the afternoon
1: sometimes? (laughs) Absolutely. That that it's a huge meal that happens at a different time. (laughs) That there's going to be a lot of other food around. That's not the meal. (laughs) That You you don't just, (laughs) Caroline, sit down with the plate of shrimp (laughs) and eat the whole thing. The manners around the table are another gift that we can give children, both to give them confidence and to set them up for success as they interact. And guess what? These are the gifts that they take with them that become the foundation for how they navigate all kinds of situations in life. So I love your introductions and partings. Another essential place to focus our our manners prep is around the table as well.
2: Absolutely. Then there are also fun things, decorating, helping with the shopping. Okay, this next one might not be "quote unquote fun, but my mother made cleaning the house fun for it us. It
1: can be.
2: It did not stick. I am not a good cleaner of my own house, totally fully admit it. But she would she did this thing with me with plumping the pillows and she would tell me to act like a gorilla. And used my big swinging arms To beat the pillows I am telling you it was so much Fun to pretend I was A gorilla plumping pillows when I was A little kid and she would She just my mom was magical In being able to make even Tasks that that were clean Up tasks or cleaning the house and prepping Tasks tasks that we A could do and B We're gonna have some fun or enjoy Doing and so whatever It is that ends up being Your fun cleaning task. I could totally picture Daniel Post sending trying to impart on his two older daughters how much he loves vacuuming by being like, look, you go over it and it disappears. It dis- Go make stuff disappear. You know? So I do feel like there, there are ways to even make cleaning the house fun. But really, really talk with your kids about how all of these acts can be a part of the gifts that they give during the holiday season. That participating well. That helping with prep work. That being pleasant and cheerful. And we know that there are times to be sad and we want to recognize recognize and, and validate those kinds of feelings, but encouraging them to put on their best party selves, things like that are true gifts. And they're gifts that that you're giving to them as parents and as mentors, but that they also can be giving to other people. And I think describing some of these tasks as gifts that could be done for others is such a, a brain flip for a kid and in a way that they might really get behind.
1: Lizzie, that is a – it's a beautiful sentiment and you also just reminded me there might be some special attire for these events and parties. It might be about trying on some clothes that don't look like the clothes you usually wear and maybe there's a way to enjoy that, for that to be exciting and fun and about making something special or connecting with other people or even just doing it for mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. But. I, like you, love this idea of focusing on holiday gifts, but starting with gifts that we don't wrap. Mm -hmm. We will get to talk about gift exchanges and gifts that do get wrapped, but we will save that for next week's Postscript. And we hope that you will be back to join us for our concluding chapter of Prepping Children for Successful Holidays, where we talk about gifts and gift exchanges.
0: Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Then all the reindeer love him, as they shouted out with glee, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you'll go down in story.
2: We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a
1: salute from Anonymous. Hi, Awesome Etiquette team. This salute may be a little silly, but I want to thank my roommates, Alex and John, for fixing a problem for me. The toilet seat in my bathroom snapped off a few weeks ago, and we put in a maintenance request with our apartment complex, but it has not been fixed. Sitting on a toilet without a seat was getting pretty uncomfortable. (laughs) So Alex and John went to Home Depot and got the materials necessary and fixed it themselves. I really appreciate them going out of their way to make me more comfortable and solve a problem I hadn't had time to address. Cheers to them. Sitting pretty.
2: top five send-offs oh my goodness i love it sitting pretty thank you so much for that salute sometimes it's the practical things that make all the difference and make us see wonderful etiquette out in the world thank you so much for this one and we are so glad your bathroom experience is more comfortable
1: and thank you for listening
2: Thank you to everyone who sent us something and everybody who supports us by being a sustaining member. Hopefully, we'll have many of you as new paid subscribers over on our Substack.
1: Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and co-workers, however you like to share podcasts.
2: You can send us questions, which we need your questions! Definitely send your questions in! Feedback and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we're at Emily Post Institute, And on Facebook, we are the emily post
1: institute please consider becoming a sustaining member you can find out more about this by visiting us at emilypost.substack.com you can also sign up to our Substack on the emily post website at the header and footer where you see invitations to join our newsletter
2: our show is edited by the ever so jolly chris albertine and assistant produced by the wonderful bridget dowd thanks Thanks, chris Chris and and bridget